previously on The Outsider. Here's what we found at the barn. The tech said Terry's friends were like the prince of an old person. What's happening here? We gotta backtrack to Dayton. Previously on the... There's nobody better at retracing steps. Sounds like your man has a doppelganger. Levan was used to abduct a child who was subsequently murdered. You're a PI? Make sure to reach out. I'm here to visit Peter Maitland. He'll have to come back with his son. Come back with Terry Maitland. A bunch of detectives showed up a month ago. I thought it was in regards to Terry. But she didn't even know he was dead. Whatever did happen. I need to find out who was working the days of the maintenance visit. We need to call that detective. What's the message? He said if you don't stop, something very bad is going to happen. Whatever you need me to do. Whatever you need me to do. Hello and welcome to an all new episode of Talking the Outsider. I'm your host, Kente, uh, all the way live from Los Angeles, and I'm joined by my one and only co-host, Jen. How are you doing, Jen? I'm doing good. Uh, I, Kente was kind enough to let me know that sometimes in the background, uh, it sounds like Jurassic Park. That's actually because I'm in Hawaii, which is sort of... Uh, home to at least some of the shooting of Jurassic Park, but also because we just have a billion birds here. So apologies to anyone who doesn't like nature. You just kind of have to suffer through it. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure some people were, were probably wondering what was going on. Uh, you know, it is what it is, you know, birds. And hey, it is what it is, is birds. Uh, I, I don't actually live in an Avery. Uh, it just sounds like I do. Uh, are you sure about that? I'm actually very sure. Yes. Uh, I think Hawaii is just one gigantic Avery. So, yes. Well, I'm glad that you're here and I'm looking forward to uh, talking about this episode. This is episode four um, that we're going to be covering, which is our fifth episode of the podcast. And uh, this one, El Coco. This is where we get the real meat of what is probably happening. Yes. And we can actually talk about it. Talk about it a little bit. So um, let's start off with this episode, how it starts off. And uh, we actually have, um, we have our character uh, who committed suicide in the last episode, um, Mr. Hostetler. I'm going to say Hostetler until somebody... Uh, wait, what is it? Hofstadter. Hofstadter. My bad. It starts off with a a flashback, and he's on a date with a very beautiful woman uh, named Maria. And and as we go along, we're going to uh, find out a little bit more about Maria. So so tell me about this uh, flashback. Well, the the basically the flashback is is meant to help us set up what Holly is doing in her investigation. Um, it also helps us, I think, to realize that there are that the doppelganger, the entity that we know is mimicking other people, is doing so in a very connected kind of way. Um, 
uh, one thing that I found super interesting about how the two of these guys connected was how stilted Maria's actual language was. Like, clearly that was probably not Maria. Right. Right. It's uh, potentially... It didn't feel very natural at all. It felt really forced. Yeah, it's it's potentially uh, our outsider here. Uh Uh-huh. So, yeah, we'll get deeper into that. Um, So... We are. We have in the present tense. <laughs> uh, we have um, Holly. She follows the uh, receptionist home, and she gets sprayed in the face. That's right. Uh, you know, and uh, with mace, and uh, then she. You know, they. First of all, I've never been sprayed in the face with mace, but I know that it doesn't feel good. <laughs> you know, so. Uh, but, um, so this starts, uh, this encounter with, uh, I believe her name is, yep, Angela. And, uh, they are going to start having a, a conversation or dialogue. Uh, this is somewhat in the, this is in a novel, but, uh, the mace part is for the TV show, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So talk about, uh, you know, what the outcome of this. Well, what we discover, I, I think almost uh, maybe not by accident, but sort of by uh, in, in an interesting way. We discover that uh, the receptionist has some theories of her own. And I think that those theories help Holly start putting together things that make a little bit more sense. Because uh, the because we hear the receptionist talk about uh, Heath, who is the one of the people who were was accused of uh, of the horrific murder, and she says it's like it wasn't Heath at all. Right. And and that is also you know in direct parallel to what we saw with Maria in the beginning, where Maria clearly doesn't seem to be acting like a normal person. And I I think that you know this is one of the limits that this entity has. It, it even though it is able to access a lot, it certainly can't access everything. It doesn't create uh, for itself a perfect copy of whatever uh person that it's trying to imitate is no not at all it it uh it doesn't do that and and one thing that's cool about this is that it gives it starts to give you kind of insight on what it can do what it can't do that kind of thing you know what i mean so it 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 also sets up the thing with the postcard where uh we find out that um that maria is in new york city we right. we find out basically that Maria is still alive, right? And then Holly heads over to New York City in order to uh, see if she can find out any more information. Yeah. So, uh, uh, yeah, my bad. I made sure we got to make sure that that is uh, revealed to the audience. Now, um, as as Holly is trying to get more information uh, about what's going on, she is able to get into the uh the senior assistant uh place and she has a conversation with uh terry maitland's father 
And I'm going to play an audio clip from that. Okay? Mm-hmm. My name is Holly. I know Holly. who you are. You don't have to tell me. Well, that's good. I wanted to ask you a few questions about Heath Hofstetter. Yeah, I remember you. You were playing cards with my grandmother in St. Louis. You had four jacks. She had four queens. <laughs> the look on your face. The last time you saw Heath, did, do you remember... But your husband gave you a sharp smack that night, am I right? Did Heath uh, talk to you about what was happening to I told to my you? wife the bedroom was too cold. So what did she do? She set fire to the bed. <laughs> It wasn't him, you know. Wasn't who? You know. He really did fool all of you, didn't he? Right. So I wanted to play that audio because uh, this is definitely a departure from the novel. I don't remember the scene in the book. Uh, And uh, what do you think it means? uh... Well, uh, you know, this sort of ties in with, um, you know, and I've mentioned this a couple of times. There is uh, there's a couple of tropes that run through this. One of them is that the very innocent, meaning the very young, and sometimes the very old, especially as they descend into dementia, are able to see things that we are not privy to, that we don't get to notice because we have stopped paying attention to that realm. And, uh, you know, to be honest, I mentioned this in our very first pilot uh, episode. The central core of what we're dealing with here, all the way up through this episode, is belief. It's what do you believe and how do you believe it? And in this case, Terry Maitland's father, somehow, although we can clearly see that he is in the throes of dementia, is somehow able to see very clearly into the fact that that was not him. And again, you know, it's sort of, it's almost expertly done because it does feel like people who are suffering from dementia may have nothing to sort of cast into an observation. But if Holly hadn't gone to ask him, I I feel like that might have been an open, unexplored sort of avenue to go down. It was... Is, it's like it's one more piece of evidence that feels like, okay, there's a there's something else here that isn't just 
that it's it, it's more than just there's all these different coincidences and all of these different overlapping timelines. There's definitely something here that is uh, creating the mimic um, the the mimic piece. I'm I, I'm struggling a little bit with how to say this. Of course, knowing you know that like I said before, I've read the books and you know there's a bit more information down the road. But for the moment, I think the best thing that we can say right now is that he sees something or he saw something that nobody else seemed to see except either the people that really knew him very well or the people who are dealing with things that allow them to see stuff that most of us don't see. Like, you know, um, I need to sort of backtrack back to our last episode and remind people that Jessa, uh, Terry's daughter, mentioned and actually asked for a meeting with Ralph to say that the entity told her, nondescript, because he now has a very blurry face, said, don't pursue this any further or something bad is going to happen. Now, why would the entity present itself to the child and not to somebody else? And I think that it has a lot to do with why Terry Maitland's father was also able to see through this. And that is that it really takes the suspension of belief or the, the, yeah, the suspension of disbelief in order to make sense of this, in order to have it actually be what it is. Does that make sense? Do you know what I'm saying? It makes perfect sense. You know, it feeds off of that, you know. And that's why it's so important. And, you know, in the novel, there's a direct reference to the importance of belief. And uh, I guess we'll wait till we get into that. But um, so I, I totally agree that and you're starting to see like this, this overall thread that keeps running of, of this kind of thing. Now, I loved that scene, by the way. I loved it because it was such an incredible juxtaposition between Terry clearly suffering from dementia and so far as to recognize Holly as somebody completely different and still have the clarity and peace of mind to be able to know that what he saw was not that he had everybody fooled. I, I feel like that was actually really well done. Now, Holly has a encounter with, a a um, bartender, a woman who's a bartender, and uh, they have an interesting conversation. I'm gonna play a clip from that. Okay. Man comes here from Georgia. Bumps into someone who's accused of killing two children. Okay. Goes back to Georgia, and four weeks later is accused of a crime just like it. These men, they knew each other beforehand? I doubt it. Maybe you got something from the first guy. Can't catch murder. It's not a virus. No, it isn't. But um, if it was a virus, you'd have to ask yourself, how did the first guy catch it? You know, who gave it to him? Because that's one hell of a bug. Can I get a coffee to go? 
<laughs> I like that. I like that scene. Um, this this is where she starts to put together the idea of the scratch, right? And why the scratch was so important that Terry got. Right, and I I like that though. They you know you can't catch murder, <laughs> you know, it's not a virus. But then she says, but if it is a virus, hmm. you know how it, could you know? It it was definitely well. Uh, that dialogue is. It, a lot of dialogue around Holly is actually really well done, but that dialogue in particular um, makes me remember why the character of Holly is so good. People around her tend to get a kind of clarity when they talk to her, which is also sort of interesting because her dialogue is anything but clear. Sometimes it's very muddy. Yeah. So yeah, which is it, it is kind of funny though when you when you start thinking about you know her character and the way that she views things and and whatnot and the you know the lasting the thought of that you know that you do get clarity from anything that she says mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it is kind of funny but it's um, fascinating it's it is fascinating that's for sure um, so. Uh, one thing too, uh, we didn't play that part of this, the uh, the clip that she does ask. She enlists the bartender to be her uh, driver the next day, and she offers her money. So that's right. Yeah. Okay. So a scene. Uh, okay. So uh, Maria, who we see in the in the uh, oops, sorry, uh, Maria, who we see in the in the flashback who had a connection to Heath, we find out. Uh, we find out that she is, in fact, uh, was convicted of a murder very similar to Terry and Heath's crime. Right. And she's still alive doing time. And as you said, there's the connection with the, the, post, the postcard. And so she goes, uh, Holly, goes and visits her in, I believe it was Rikers Island because they're in New York mm-hmm. right now. And so she has this conversation with Maria where Maria is like, she seems to know what's going on with her more, more so than anyone else. Maybe that's why she's still alive. And she seems to come to some sort of acceptance, even though she tells her, she tells Holly, like, I didn't do this, you know, but I have to kind of live with it. And she seems to be very scared while she's having this conversation. Another lady, a Spanish lady is overhearing a conversation and she leaves her a card. Right. Um, Before we get into the Spanish lady who leaves Holly a card. uh, What do you think about this idea that possibly Maria knows what's going on? Unlike Terry and Heath. Well, I'm going to sort of jump a little bit here into this, the idea which I think uh, Outsider is supposed to be conveying, which is the more you believe, the harder it is for the entity to control the, uh, the enigmatic stuff that happens around you. Um, and I, I'm, I'm 
trying to be very careful with my words because I really don't want to spoil what happens next if people haven't seen it. But there is a, a, a kind of um, an all-encompassing mood that says to us, if you pour your belief into what this entity is, if you embrace it, then it seems to move on uh, differently. It, it doesn't seem to hold on to quite as, it, or maybe it doesn't, maybe that's the wrong way to say it. It, it seems like there is less of an impact. However, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that this is where there are some, I think, plot issues with the story. Yes. Marina, Maria clearly seems to have some kind of understanding of what's going on. Or at the very least has a, a suspicion. And of course she can't say what she thinks her suspicion is. You know, they'd lock her up and say she was totally crazy and whatever. But what happens here is it almost feels like this is just a scene to get Holly to have the scene with uh, the next character. And I'm not saying that this doesn't work, but it feels like there was no reason for Maria to really sort of embrace and understand everything. She wasn't being used. She didn't have the thing on her neck. I mean, the, none of that stuff kind of made any sense. The only thing that I could think of was that they were trying to say that culturally, she has an understanding of what this might be that perhaps most other cultures do not have. Like, we don't really have a cultural understanding of what this entity might be because we just don't embrace it. And she's Hispanic too. And it's a Spanish legend. So maybe that, you know, you can add that to why, you know, and also the thing we need to say is that Maria is a lesbian, the real Maria. And he had a sexual encounter with the, we're going to just say it's Maria's doppelganger. Right. Where the scratch, we actually see the scratch being done during their sexual encounter. So, uh, you know, so, which is a big departure. That's why she doesn't even, you know, as far as Maria knows is this is a guy that hit on her. She shined him on, but the doppelganger went in, you know, closed the deal. So, (laughs) so this is a scene, you know, uh, we got to play it. I'm going to play the audio from it uh, where Holly goes and meets the woman, Miss Castro, and mm. starts to get some understanding of what she's dealing with. So let's play. I'm going to play the audio and then we'll we'll get into uh, what we think about about this. Back, back it goes. El cuco. Duérmete, niño, duérmete ya, que viene el cuco y te comerá. Sleep, child. Sleep now. Else cuco comes and eats you. El cuco, Jumbi, met an old Russian woman once who called hers Baba Yaga. Uh, the boogeyman. If you like. All the old cultures had the bad habit of turning truth into fairy tales. When we tell our children about El Cuco, we say, if you misbehave, it'll take you away and eat you. 
what we should tell them is it doesn't matter either way it takes what it wants and you you keep saying it it can look like a person if it needs to be but it's not it's not this day and age we find it so difficult to believe in anything that we can't explain not me not you the woman you visited i heard her say that her father and uncle were killed was this before or after the child was murdered a few weeks after she was arrested and the little boy who else in his family has died since they found him his mother why because it is also known as el golotón para dolor the grief eater it takes the child itself but after it likes to linger because it craves the pain of the ones left behind if the child is its meal the suffering of the family is its dessert all right so in the background of that clip you hear the clock ticking and it's important i think narratively that we realize that they are in a uh that the metaphor here is they are up against the clock that we know that he is transforming there is a sense of time urgency for holly to figure out what's going on and this is a very important clue for her to have Yes. Um, I, you know, I mean, it's very convenient that she runs into someone who can fill in the blanks like that. <laughs> you know, but hey. True. Huh? Uh, that's true. So, but you know, it's one of those, hey, the script say so. Um, but, uh, but it doesn't feel deus ex machina. You know, it doesn't feel like it just solves, you know, it, it does feel very coincidental but it really doesn't feel like oh oh my god it's so contrived that it's going to throw us off for the rest of the for the rest of the story well i mean i thought it was kind of silly but you know uh so but you know uh and by the way el cuco is a real uh, urban legend as well so uh so this is deep this is rooted in something that's uh, real at least the legend is real so uh you know, as we go along, we're going to get deeper into El Cuco, uh, a.k.a. the outsider and uh, what it possibly means. Um, but also another thing that happens as well is the young man, Merlin, who who uh, Merlin Cassidy, who stole the van, um, he initially lied and said he didn't see what the what the person who um, stole the van uh, look like and then uh, he came back and said he did see the person and this is what he says the person looked like um, so is that El Cuco? Hmm. I don't we don't know so um, which is interesting that because uh, that, in the novel in the novel, they actually saw the same person at the um, 
courthouse they remembered seeing. They thought it was a guy who was burnt. Right. And, uh, but then when they looked at the tape, there was no, uh, he wasn't on the tape. And that was one of the reasons why they were kind of like, well, what's going on here? So that is, uh, that is, uh, something that, uh, we are going to get deeper into, but, uh, I, I feel like this is a good, uh, ending point on this particular, uh, episode. I think we can go more in depth on the next episode. So, uh, you know, we want to be careful. So we won't anyone who's listened to this, who hasn't seen the next episode, I don't want to spoil too much. So, um, are you okay with that? Yeah. Okay, cool. So Jen, uh, how can we get you in social media and all that good stuff? You can find me on Twitter at following bliss one, and you can visit my newly moving website at studio whitewolf.com. All right. All right. All right. And you can get me at Kente F on Twitter and um, Kente at Kente Ferguson on Instagram. And of course, the website is IndieRadio.org. That's I-N-D-Y radio.org. And we will be back with a all new episode covering the outsider. Peace.